Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. From the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library here in the wilds of Connecticut, This is Obscure, the podcast in which I read Jude the Obscure out loud and comment on it as I go. I am your host, your friend, your ear lover, your Victorianologist, your literary mansplainer-in-chief, Michael Ian Black. It is my joy, as always, to be with you. And uh, last time, uh, the two women in Jude's life, the yin and the yang— the carnal and the ethereal, the low and the high, have finally met. Sue and Arabella have come into direct contact with each other. The end result being that Sue has agreed somewhat under duress to marry Jude Folly. She's like, Arabella had come to the to the window, or to the door, really, um, a little, you know, a little cat prowling around outside the house, mewling, looking for attention. And Jude, ever tender-hearted, good-natured Jude, uh, said that he was going to assist her. Arabella said, "Don't go with her," suspecting that if he came within her clutches, those little claws would extend and hook into him and never let him go. Those fears were not entirely unfounded, as Arabella herself admitted when Sue went to confront her the next morn. And Arabella said, you know, basically Jude's such a sucker, you know, he'll do anything. You just cry a little. And he'll do anything for you. And was making the point that, what do you care, Sue? You know, you're not together. You know, you're just kind of living in sin. And Sue's like, well, I've agreed to marry him. Arabella is like, very well. Uh, Blah, 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 blah. I mean, I want to dive right back into it. But Arabella has said that she really, I'm quoting, I really did want to consult Jude on a little matter of business, as I told him. Um, And she says, I'll write to him about it. So we don't know what that is, but the chapter has concluded 
We're now in chapter three of uh, part the fifth, I think, at Aldbrickham and elsewhere. When Sue reached home, Jude was awaiting her at the door to take the initial step towards their marriage. And and I know I've only read one sentence, but I have to interrupt myself. Here's what I don't understand. You know, Jude's been asking her to marry him. She was upset, right? She was under duress and finally said, if you don't go to Arabella, fine, I'll marry you. And he's like, oh, great. Like, who would do that? I'm saying from Jude's point of view, like, why would you agree to marry somebody I mean, why would you like accept that? Why would you accept her acceptance if you were if you were if you knew that she was only doing it because she was totally upset? Like I would I, I you know, that should be a contract entered into joyously, not out of uh, out of pressure, not because you didn't want to get you didn't want your your man to get with his old boo like that should not be the reason you agree to marry somebody but Jude's like okay great let's get married i won't go see her and yeah wipe your tears baby let's get married doesn't seem like the best way to start a marriage but he is now about to take the initial step towards their marriage she clasped his arm and they went along silently together as true comrades oft times do He saw that she was preoccupied and forbore to question her. Oh, Jude, I've been talking to her, she said at last. I wish I hadn't, and yet it is best to be reminded of things. I hope she was civil. Yes, I can't help liking her, just a little bit. She's not an ungenerous nature, and I am so glad her difficulties have all suddenly ended. She explained how Arabella had been summoned back and would be enabled to retrieve her position. If you recall, Arabella's fiance, the one who, you know, kicked her out, has taken her back. They're going to make it up. You know, they're like um, Arabella and her fiance are like Sid and Nancy, basically, you know, suicide guy, suicide gal. And one of them will probably stab the other to death and we will we won't care, but it will make a great Gary Oldman film. I was referring to our old question. What Arabella has been saying to me has made me feel more than ever how hopelessly vulgar an institution legal marriage is. A sort of trap to catch a man. I can't bear to think of it. I wish I hadn't promised to let you put up the bands this morning. Oh, don't mind me. Any time will do for me. I thought you might like to get it over quickly now, says Jude. I mean, dude, he, she is saying she doesn't want to marry you. It's not about the bands. It's that she does not want to marry you. Get it through your thick, stupid head, Jude. She does not want to get married to you or to anybody. You know my theory as to why, but that is what's going on. And she says, indeed, I don't feel any more anxious now than I did before. Perhaps with any other man, I might be a little anxious. But among the very few virtues possessed by your family and mine, dear, I think I may set staunchness. So I am not a bit frightened about losing you. Now I really am yours, and you really are mine. In fact, I am easier in my mind than I was, for my conscience is clear about Richard, who now has a right to his freedom. I felt we were deceiving him before. Sue, you seem when you are like this to be one of the women of some grand old civilization. Yeah, the Amazonian civilization, which was only women. Okay, 
the Isle of Lesbos, which is only women. That's the civilization that she belongs to, whom I used to read about in my bygone, wasted, classical days, rather than a denizen of a mere Christian country. I almost expect you to say at these times that you have just been talking to some friend whom you met in the Via Sacra about the latest news of Octavia or Livia, or have been listening to Aspasia's eloquence, or have been watching Praxiteles chiseling away at his latest Venus, while Fryn made complaint that she was tired of posing. God, you're tiresome, Jude. You can be tiresome, Jude. You pretentious bore. They had now reached the house of the parish clerk. Sue stood back while her lover went up to the door. His hand was raised to knock when she said, Jude. He looked round. Wait a minute, would you mind? He came back to her. Just let us think, she said timidly. I had such a horrid dream one night, and Arabella... What did Arabella say to you, he asked. Oh, she said that when people were tied up, you could get the law of a man better if he beat you, and how when couples quarreled. Jude, do you think that when you must have me with you by law, we shall be so happy as we are now? The men and women of our families are very generous when everything depends upon their goodwill, but they always kick against compulsion." Don't you dread the attitude that insensibly arises out of legal obligation? Don't you think it is destructive to a passion whose essence is its gratuitousness? Upon my word, love, you're beginning to frighten me too with all this foreboding. Well, let's go back and think it over. Her face brightened. Yes, so we will, said she. And they turned from the clerk's door, Sue taking his arm and murmuring as they walked on homeward. And then this is a quote with a footnote. So we'll read the quote, then we'll get the footnote and we'll see what the hell they're talking about. And she's murmuring, can you keep the bee from ranging or the ring dove's neck from changing? I guess those are supposed to rhyme. Range. Oh, ranging. Be from ranging, right. Or the ring dove's neck from changing. No, nor fettered love. In other words, you can't change love by constraining it, I suppose. Um, You can only kill it. And that's from Thomas Campbell. It's a song. How delicious is the winning? I don't know. But Sue is obviously happy here because Judah said, oh, yeah, well, let's hold let's hold off on getting married for a second. This is all she wants. And and Jude, for whatever reason, is too stupid to understand that she does not want to marry him. She doesn't want to have sex with him. She barely will tolerate his kisses and his affections. And she definitely does not want to marry him. What does he not see? Like, why? I mean, is he that much of a hopeless optimist that he thinks it's just some passing phase with her? No, she destroys men's lives. That's what she has done. The only two men that she has had relationships with previous to Jude, the young dude who died, and then Phillotson, whose life she essentially destroyed. She is not meant to be with a man. I don't know if she's meant to be with a woman, but she's certainly not meant to be with a man. They thought it over or postponed thinking. Certainly they postponed action and seemed to live on in a dreamy paradise. At the end of a fortnight or three weeks, matters remained unadvanced and no bans were announced to the ears of any Aldbrickham congregation. 
Whilst they were postponing and postponing thus, a letter in a newspaper arrived before breakfast one morning from Arabella. So this is the missive that she said she was going to write. Seeing the handwriting, Jude went up to Sue's room and told her, and as soon as she was dressed, she hastened down. Sue opened the newspaper, Jude the letter. After glancing at the paper, she held across the first page to him with her finger on a paragraph, but he was so absorbed in his letter that he did not turn a while. Look, said she. He looked and read. The paper was one that circulated in South London only, and the marked advertisement was simply the announcement of a marriage at St. John's Church, Waterloo Road, under the names Cartlet Don, the united pair being Arabella and the innkeeper. Well, it is satisfactory, said Sue complacently, though, after this, it seems rather low to do likewise, and I am glad. However, she is provided for now in a way, I suppose, whatever her faults, poor thing. It is nicer that we are able to think that than to be uneasy about her. I ought, too, to write to Richard and ask him how he is getting on, perhaps. But Jude's attention was still absorbed. Having merely glanced at the announcement, he said in a disturbed voice, Listen to this letter. What shall I say or do? The Three Horns, Lambeth, that's where she's writing from. Dear Jude, I won't be so distant. Oh, I guess I'll do her voice a little bit. Dear Jude, I won't be so distant as to call you Mr. Folly. I send today a newspaper from which useful document you will learn that I was married over again to Cartlett last Tuesday. So that business has settled right and tight at last. But what I write about more particular is that private affair I wanted to speak to you on when I came down to Aldbrickham. I couldn't very well tell it to your lady friend, and she should much have liked to let you know it by word of mouth, as I could have explained better than by letter. The fact is, Jude, that though I have never informed you before, there was a boy born of our marriage eight months after I left you, when I was at Sydney living with my father and mother. All that is easily provable. As I had separated from you before, I thought such a thing was going to happen, and I was over there, and our quarrel had been sharp. I did not think it convenient to write about the birth. I was then looking out for a good situation, so my parents took the child, and he's been with them ever since. That was why I did not mention it when I met you in Christminster, nor at the law proceedings. He is now of an intelligent age, of course, and my father and mother have lately written to say that as they have rather a hard struggle over there, and I am settled comfortably here, they don't see why they should be encumbered with the child any longer, his parents being alive." I would have him with me here in a moment, but he is not old enough to be of any use in the bar, nor will be for years and years, and naturally, Cartlett might think him in the way. They have, however, packed him off to me, in charge of some friends who happen to be coming home, and I must ask you to take him when he arrives, for I don't know what to do with him. He is lawfully yours, that I solemnly swear. If anybody says he isn't, call them brimstone liars for my sake. Whatever I may have done before or afterwards, I was honest to you from the time we were married till I went away, and I remain yours, etc., Arabella Cartlett. Well, 
that's quite a piece of news. And I can't say I am entirely surprised. I sort of thought there might be a kid in the picture. I thought maybe there would be a kid after they spent that night together when he was courting Sue. But now we discover there was a child from their marriage of intelligent age whom has been raised by Arabella's parents down under and is now bound for England. And Arabella does not want him. And will Jude take care of the boy? Well, what do we think? We know Jude. Jude will take the child to his bosom and love that boy with all of his heart. But how will Sue react? How will Sue ever under threat of loss and anxiety, ever worried, barely of this atmosphere, how will Sue Bridehead react to an out-of-wedlock, well, an in-wedlock son, a stepson? I predict it will not go well. It's an interesting thing to, to, to add into the book about, oh, three quarters or more of the way through, but now there is a child and we don't know what's going to happen. Why don't we take a little break before we get Sue's reaction to this startling piece of news. We'll be back in a moment on Obscure. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We're back. Jude has just uh, discovered that he has a son by Arabella who's been living down under with her parents who have been struggling down under. And now the parents have, have shipped the boy off to England to be with his mother, Arabella, who has said, who's just gotten remarried. She does not want the boy. She has commended him to Jude and begged him to take her. We do not yet know Sue's reaction. 
Sue's look was one of dismay. What will you do, dear? She asked faintly. Jude did not reply, and Sue watched him anxiously with heavy breaths. (sighs) That is my performance of heavy breaths laden with anxiety, which I felt like those were pretty good anxious breaths. It hits me hard, said he in an under voice. It may be true. I can't make it out. Certainly if his birth was exactly when she says he's mine. I cannot think why she didn't tell me when I met her at Christminster and came on here that evening with her. Ah, I do remember now that she said something about having a thing on her mind that she would like me to know if ever we live together again. The poor child seems to be wanted by nobody, Sue replied, and her eyes filled. Jude had by this time come to himself. What a view of life he must have, mine or not mine, he said. I must say that if I were better off, I should not stop for a moment to think whose he might be. I would take him and bring him up. The beggarly question of parentage, what is it after all? What does it matter when you come to think of it, whether a child is yours by blood or not? All the little ones of our time are collectively the children of us adults of the time and entitled to our general care. That excessive regard of parents for their own children and their dislike of other people's is like class feeling, patriotism, save your own soulism and other virtues, a mean exclusiveness at bottom. I mean, he's basically uh, reciting the Communist Manifesto here. He's basically saying, all for one, one for all. We're all in this together. Why should it matter whose kids are whose? We're all in this community of one. And this is, again, you know, super progressive thought. He's saying, what, who's, what difference does it make? It's a kid. We're all responsible for all the kids. When we pick one kid and say, that's my kid and another kid isn't my kid. Like, it's just exclusive. It's just exclusiveness. It gives us a chance to turn our hearts against another. So if I had a little bit more money, like I wouldn't even think of it. Of course I would take the kid. I'd take any kid. And we know Jude, like we know that Jude is kind of like this. And we know Jude uh, is just the tenderest hearted of people and all of his readings, all of his classical uh, uh, preparations, his 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 theological undertakings, which he has abandoned, nevertheless, retain in him what I think is the best of the spirit of Christianity, though he does refer to the save your own soul-ism, which is, uh, unfortunately, another strain of religion, that it does not matter what you do in this life uh, just as long as you save your own soul. And that soul can be saved with a few utterances of syllables at the right time. But Jude is determined to live a more generous life than that, a life that does not have at bottom a mean exclusiveness. So Sue, now we're waiting for her reaction, Sue jumped up and kissed Jude with passionate devotion. Yes, so it is, dearest, and we'll have him here. And if he isn't yours, it makes it all the better. I do hope he isn't, though perhaps I ought not to feel quite that. If he isn't, I should like so much for us to have him as an adopted child." 
Well, you must assume about him what is most pleasing to you, my curious little comrade, he said. I feel that, anyhow, I don't like to leave the unfortunate little fellow to neglect. Just think of his life in a Lambeth pothouse and all its evil influences, with a parent who doesn't want him and has indeed hardly seen him, and a stepfather who doesn't know him. He's quoting here, Let the day perish wherein I was born, and the night in which it was said, There is a man-child conceived, unquote. That's what the boy, my boy perhaps, will find himself saying before long. Oh no, and as I was the petitioner, I am really entitled to his custody, I suppose. Whether or not, we must have him. I see that. I'll do the best I can to be a mother to him, and we can afford to keep him somehow. I'll work harder. I wonder when he'll arrive. In the course of a few weeks, I suppose. I wish. When shall we have the courage to marry Jude? Oh, so now suddenly she wants to get married. See, Sue sees something here now. She sees an avenue of redemption for her own humanity. She sees that in being a mother, which is a, and I'll, I'll just be crass about it here for a moment, she can be a mother without being a sexual creature. She can remain ethereal. She can remain above it all. She can remain uh, aloof from Jude and yet still have all the benefits or the primary benefit in her mind of a marriage, which is motherhood. She can rectify herself by taking this child in. All the better if the boy is not even related to Jude, because then they approach parenting from an even playing field. And Jude's saying, well, you can think whatever you want. Whether it's my boy or not, there's no way to know. We do not have 23andMe. We, we cannot know whose child this actually is. So if you want to believe that it's not mine, I'm fine with that. And what I believe doesn't really matter or what I think doesn't really matter because I am of the opinion that we are all parents to all of God's children. And so we'll take this boy, we'll raise him as our own son, be he our biological child or no. And of course, we know he's not Sue's biological child, but he may be Jude's. But the moment is ripe for Sue. And suddenly she's interested in marriage because suddenly in sanctifying their relationship, she can sanctify her relationship to this boy. And she can redeem her own humanity, a humanity that I suspect she has questioned from the very beginning. Who am I in this world? And she's never found a satisfactory answer to that question, but she can answer it now. She can say, I have found my place. I am a mother to this boy. Now, all of that is tumbling in her mind in the instant after Jude reads the letter. Now, I'm just saying what Sue is thinking, but why not? It makes sense to me. It gives her everything. She is getting her cake. She's having it and she's eating it. She is very lucky as far as cakes go. This is the perfect slice of cake for her. Okay, let's take another break. Back in a moment on Obscure. Obscure. 
Welcome back to Obscure. We've had a real plot twist here. A baby. Or uh, a child, rather. And I think this is a good time to check in with my own baby mama, the mother of my own children, and I, the father of hers, my dear bride, Martha. Of course, as you know, Martha is also the impetus for this whole reading experiment. Martha, welcome back to um, your own house. All right, so this is just a simple question, just a quickie little interview. Jude has just discovered that he is the father of a child by Arabella, his first wife. And, and, And now he's with Sue. They're living as husband and wife, but they haven't consummated their relationship because she refuses to. So I guess my question for you is, and, 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 they're, and they're welcoming the child in. They're both kind of excited about this. And my question for you is, if you found out I had a secret baby by, you know, with my, with my family in Tampa, would you be as welcoming to a child? Um, did she know about Arabella? She knew about Arabella. Not at first. Eventually, it was it it, it came out as kind, it was a kind of a shock to her when he, she did find out that he he had been and was currently married when they first met, but they hadn't been together for a while. Okay, would I be as shocked? If- Not even shocked, but would you would you welcome my love child into our family? Well, love child, <laughs> love child. Yeah. My love well, child. you love this woman in Tampa. You really love her. Well, it's my secret family in Tampa, uh-huh. as you know. Right. Okay. A- and yeah. I yeah, ha- I've known about her for years, so why should I care <laughs> at I, this point? Right. I've known about the Tampa. The secret family yes. in Tampa, right. Yes. But I'm saying like that if, if my Tampa wife was suddenly like, look, I can't deal with this kid for various reasons. Can you please take the kid? Would you be all right with that? Yeah. Really? Probably. She was, if it was your kid and I knew about this woman, which, you know, I've known about this woman in Tampa, (laughs) then, um, and she, Sue has known about Arabella. Um, I mean, she doesn't have a qualm, a a problem with Arabella. Arabella was her, his legitimate wife. Yeah. But she does, she does have a problem with Arabella. Oh. Uh, See, this is what happened. There's jealousy. There's jealousy. I mean, she's, she's jealous, uh, but she feels a little bit sorry for Arabella at the same time. Yeah, but the it, kid doesn't have anything to do with it. The kid so has she's, nothing to so do with she's it. she's probably just like, okay. I th- uh, Yeah, but for, for Sue, I think it's actually a relief because Sue won't have sex with Jude for reasons that are very unclear. She, she, I think she's just afraid of sex. I, I, I think she's gay. That's my personal theory. Uh, of course. Is that what people always say when someone like, okay. She won't ha- She hates, she, she does not seem to respond to male affection, male physical affection. She likes that they like her, but she can't return it. Well, there could be a myriad number of reasons for that, but I haven't read the book. So my literary theory is that she's gay. Right. Car. Yeah. Um, That's the easy way out. Yeah. Uh, my, My reading of the book is not deep. Well, then you're letting down your reader. My listener. Okay. I mean, your listener. I'm the reader. Anyway. Yes. What? Yeah. I would probably, You'd be all right with it. And you'd love the child. No, I mean, I wouldn't be all right with it if this is just, I found out you had a family in Tampa and the kid <laughs> needed a family and he was coming up here. 
I still wouldn't hold the kid responsible for that. And if the kid needed a family, I mean, that's sad. Do you think you could love the child? I don't know. Probably. It's like, what's the difference? It's like adopting a child. Right. That's what I think. I don't know that I would see always the mother back in the background as like the kid represents the mother. I don't think I would see it that way because children are innocent. Yeah. I agree. Nothing to do with them. I agree. I think we're okay. Great. Okay. So he or she can come up whenever they want. (laughs) All right. Okay, great. We don't have enough rooms, but Ruthie can share with you. I volunteer Ruthie to be the first (laughs) one to share the bedroom. I'm going to send an email down to Tampa and I'm just going to say, send, send them up whenever. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye. My wife, Martha, she is the best. Uh, I love her. It's very benevolent of her to appear on my podcast and to take in my wayward child. I'm not sure about Sue's motives for doing so, but let's read on. All right. Where was I? Okay. So Sue says, when will he arrive in the course of a few weeks? Okay. Then she says, she says, when shall we have the courage to marry Jude? Whenever you have it, I think I shall. It remains with you entirely, dear. Only say the word and it's done. Before the boy comes? Certainly. It would make a more natural home for him, perhaps, she murmured. Jude thereupon wrote in purely formal terms to request that the boy should be sent on to them as soon as he arrived, making no remark whatever on the surprising nature of Arabella's information, nor vouchsafing a single word of opinion on the boy's paternity, nor on whether, had he known all this, his conduct towards her would have been quite the same. Smart. What have we learned? learned in the last few years. Never put anything in writing, right? It's all going to come out. It's all going to end up on CNN. Never put it in writing. So Jude's being very careful here. He's not acknowledging paternity. He's not denying paternity. He's not saying anything. He's just saying, I agree to your request. I'll take the boy. So then if some court proceeding should happen somewhere down the line and someone leaks it to the press, there will be no uh, ensnaring by his own words. Very smart, Jude. In the down train that was timed to reach Aldbrickham Station about 10 o'clock the next morning, a small, pale child's face could be seen in the gloom of a third-class carriage. He had large, frightened eyes and wore a white woolen cravat over which a key was suspended round his neck by a piece of common string, the key attracting attention by its occasional shine in the lamplight. In the band of his hat, his half-ticket was stuck. His eyes remained mostly fixed on the back of the seat opposite and never turned to the window, even when a station was reached and called. On the other seat were two or three passengers, one of them a working woman who held a basket on her lap in which was a tabby kitten. The woman opened the cover now and then, whereupon the kitten would put out its head and indulge in playful antics. At these, the fellow passengers laughed, except the solitary boy bearing the key and ticket, who, regarding the kitten with his saucer eyes, seemed mutely to say, All laughing comes from misapprehension. Rightly looked at, there is no laughable thing under the sun. Well, that is quite a comment 
uttered or not to make or to have formed in one's head. Now, Hardy's not saying the boy was actually thinking this, but I think we can all remember our childhoods and having the emotion of a thought without quite being able to put be able to put words to it. I, I, I certainly remember that. And it's only later as an adult that you can think back on those emotions and figure out what the hell you were feeling. Um, but of course, he's looking at this little tabby kitten who is so amusing to everybody else and seeing himself as that tabby kitten with the saucer eyes doing things that may appear uh, laughable but in fact are not. Nothing is laughable under the sun if viewed in the right light. And that's not what you want to hear as a comedian. On the other hand, the corollary to that, I suppose, would be everything is laughable under the sun when put in the right light. It's just about the light, where you shine it. So we have this boy, and it's the next morning, apparently, or the next evening, excuse me, And he has large frightened eyes, just like that tabby kitten. And he won't even look out the window because he does not want to see where he is going. He is so unsure, having been put in a basket of his own about where he's going to end up, that he does not even choose to look. Occasionally at a stoppage, the guard would look into the compartment and say to the boy, all right, my man, your your box is safe in the van. The boy would say, yes, without animation, would try to smile and fail. He was age masquerading as juvenility and doing it so badly that his real self showed through crevices. A ground swell from ancient years of night seemed now and then to lift the child in this his morning life when his face took a back view over some great Atlantic of time and appeared not to care about what it saw. Well, that is where I will end because we are learning a great deal about this boy in just that paragraph. He was age masquerading as juvenility. Who else is age masquerading as juvenility? Sue Bridehead. Sue Bridehead, who has believed herself to come from another age, Jude himself commented on it, even in this chapter. When he talked about, I almost expect you to say at these times that you've just been talking to some friend who you have met in the Via Sacra. We are dealing now with two generations, unrelated by blood, who view themselves as creatures of a distant past, creatures who do not belong here at all. The boy takes a back view over so some great Atlantic of time and appeared not to care about what it saw. So he has acquired years beyond his own. And when he looks backwards across that great epoch, epoch, is that how you say that? Epic? Et, no, Ep- epoch. What's an epoch mean? It's a word I don't think I've ever used out loud. I've said out loud. I've read it many times. Epoch. (laughs) A period of time in history or a person's life, typically one marked by notable events or particular characteristics. Epoch. Epoch. Oh, it is pronounced epic. Listen. Epoch. Huh. All right. 
epic. Looking back across the great epic of his own life, and he it has been an epic. He has traveled the world to come to these little station stops here in England. He's traveled an ocean to get here, and he looks back on it without a care. He does not have any fondness nor derision from for the epic from which he has arrived. He is only dealing now with his present. And it does not seem to be a very merry present based on how uh, dismissive he is of the other passengers in the compartment laughing at the tabby cat. So it sounds to me like we've got a, uh, a troubled boy coming to live in a unconventional relationship with a father he does not know and a stepmother who will be desperate to love him because it will justify and rectify her own broken self. That sounds like a recipe for disaster. And as you know, I am a huge fan of disaster when it comes to my fiction, not so much when it comes to my own real life. So let's leave it there. The boy is coming. A new family awaits. A new marriage is about to be undertaken. Will it work? Will they find happiness as a little trio of oddballs there in Aldbrickham and elsewhere? We'll find out on another Pulse Quickening episode of Obscure. Until then, I wish you adieu. Obscure is brought to you by Earwolf. To subscribe and get more information, visit our show page at Earwolf.com. If you like what you've heard, please write us a review on Apple Podcasts, and you can talk to us at Obscure with Michael Ian Black at gmail.com. Obscure is produced by Jennifer Brennan, Mary Shimkin, and Robin Lynn, who also mixed and edited today's show with music composed by Craig Wedren. Special thanks to everyone at Earwolf, especially Chris Bannon, Colin Anderson, and the Earwolf engineer team of Brett Morris, Sam Kiefer, and Ryan Connor from the wilds of Connecticut. I'm Michael Ian Black.